good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you've somehow tuned again to hear the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. And for that, we thank you so much. As always, I'm joined by my fabulous and clever co-host, Pete Johnson, coming to us from upstate Michigan. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ali, how you doing? It was nice to sit next to you for a couple of podcasts at Cisco Live. I survived my trip home. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. I think we all we all uh, got lucky at Cisco Live with the good weather and just a great show. But yeah, for me, the highlight was probably actually getting to podcast with you uh, side by side in that hot, sweaty podcast booth. They yeah. Pro, pro tip, <laughs> if you do a podcast live from a show floor, they probably will put a top on the little cube and it, it, the fewer halogen lamps in that little cube, the better. Yeah, you're probably better off coming to that interview in shorts and a t-shirt if we ever ask you to a Cisco yes. Live uh, yeah, podcast interview. Luckily for today's guest, he is not in the podcast domain box. He's coming to us from what appears to be a much cooler location, and we'd like to welcome him. Hello, Vijoy. Uh, this is Vijoy Pandey. He is the Cisco Cloud CTO. So, wow. Thank you so much for joining us, Vijoy. Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Pete. Uh, yes, I'm glad to be here. It is a cool, I guess, 70 degrees in this room. Yeah. And when we were out in Cisco Live, at least we were enjoying 75 degrees weather. Yeah. It was a burning 104 in California. So <laughs> regardless of the halogen lamps, I think you had a better time than you would have had at the headquarters. Yes. Yes. I heard it was hot at HQ. So for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Vijoy, he, he came to us from Google about a year ago, I'm going to say. Maybe it's more than that. Uh, was it a, a year it's ago? Sorry? About uh, 10 months. I'm coming. Oh, 11 months. I'm coming up on my anniversary. What's interesting to me is almost over. Is that you did real? It seems like you did real different stuff at Google. You know, you were. It sounds like you were in charge of. You were head of engineering for data centers and backbone networks. Like, how did you wind up becoming the cloud CTO? Ah, that's here? a good one. Yeah. So I yes, let me start there. So at Google, I had a couple of roles. Uh, my first role was to actually run the footprint of data centers that Google has, as well as the two backbones that they have. So one is a backbone that connects users to the entirety of Google. So if you are coming in through a Google search or YouTube, you traverse this backbone, which is called B2, uh, to get to a Google data center. Now, once you get to a Google data center, let's say you're do doing a query, a search query, then the Google data center or the jobs in that data center will spawn off a whole bunch of uh, jobs that may be within that data center or across the globe. And so there's a different backbone that connects all of the data centers across the globe that it utilizes, and that's called B4. So there are two global backbones, and of course the data center footprint, which is pretty massive for Google. So I ran those physical networking footprints for a while, and then I ended up building their software stack for the modeling, the telemetry, the automation, of all of these networks, as well as the virtual network that uh, spans uh, Google Cloud. Wow, and I, I feel like we were really lucky to, to get someone with that kind of background and that expertise in networking, naturally, since that's our jam, but uh, also because automation is such an important thing right now. It's it's a juggernaut in the industry, uh, you know, automation and AI, and it, it seems like things are becoming um, less and less manual all the time. What's going on with with automation in in general that's that's exciting to you and and specifically what about what what's happening with Cisco with automation or happening at Cisco with automation? 
Sure. I mean, I think I, I, I neglected to answer uh, a second half of your question. And you can. Leads, you can take a moment it, for that. It leads directly into this question that you asked. And I think uh, the reason I left Google and I joined Cisco is because of the opportunity that Cisco has in these spaces. And the spaces being uh, automation, the spaces being AI ops, and where we are headed towards uh, automation, end-to-end -end automation with uh, zero touch networking or with zero ops operation of the net uh, of the network and the infrastructure in general. And so if you think about how a lot of these hyperscalers have approached the problem, I mean, one thing they've got going for them is uh, they own the infrastructure end to end. And if you talk to Cisco's customers, some of them own the infrastructure end to end, primarily the SPs. But if you think about the large enterprises or the smaller enterprises, they have a mixed bag. They're leasing some things. They are buying vendor gear. Uh, it's a mixed bag of heterogeneous entities. It's a mixed bag of how you go and purchase stuff, how you deploy stuff. Maybe they don't even have the, the wherewithal to deploy stuff. They're looking at Cisco to help with that. So I think the opportunity that Cisco has in automation, in AI, in cloud, frankly, in general, is, is massive. Because not everybody is a, is a Google or an Amazon or a Facebook or a Microsoft. So that's the opportunity that I, I saw coming into, into Cisco. Talking specifically about, about automation, I think there's a lot happening within Cisco. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. So there's a lot that is still on the roadmap. The thing that I've seen when I transitioned over from, from uh, Google to Cisco was we are pretty early in that automation journey. And I think that's OK. Because I think the reality of it is that it's not just us coming to the market with products, which we should do, but a lot of it is education. It's a lot of it is the customers themselves trying to get ready for that journey. And a lot of it has to do with the skill sets that exist within the customer's domain. A lot of it has to do with the organizational setup that they have. Uh, there's a lot to do with how you need to transfer the processes that you have today into something that is more amenable to a fully automated world. So there's a lot of journey that the customers themselves have to go through in order to consume what we produce. So it's okay to be at ground zero and it's okay to walk through these phases. And I like to say that there are four phases of automation that everybody goes through and it's okay to be at phase one. And I think that's where most of our customers are and that's the opportunity for Cisco. I feel like if you were a customer, I feel like I want if there's a bit of I wonder if they feel a bit of whiplash. You know, it sounds like talking to them specifically at Cisco Live recently it used to be you bought networking boxes, you set them up, pat them on their head and leave them alone. They do their thing. Then we've made them, you know, software defined. We, we They are now much smarter than they used to be. And we can program all kinds of capabilities into them. And now we're saying again, eventually you won't have to touch them anymore. It sounds like, you know, we're going to automate your, you back out of it. Do they have to get into it? Do they need to actually, what I've been told by other guests we've had, you have to know what you're automating before you automate. So do they really, do, I guess what I'm asking, if I'm a customer, is there a way around this or do I really have to get into that? Do I have to take the time to learn how to program my network properly <laughs> before I automate it? So I think, I mean, yeah, so that's a good question. And I think the community and the industry in general is doing a bad job, I would say, in messaging the right things. I think. We at Cisco have a pretty good say and a pretty vocal 
uh, we are we're pretty vocal in this in this uh, messaging. So we should be careful as to what we message around the automation front. I think what's happening though is uh, back to my earlier comment. There are various kinds of customers, and they consume the network in various ways. So the way you would sell to a hyperscaler is not the way a large enterprise or an SP would consume things. So that's actually going and creating this uh, sort of uh, confusion in the messaging in the marketplace, because everybody is trying to be like a Google and an Amazon and a Microsoft, but not everybody can be or should be for that matter. So I think that's where we need to step, take a step back and figure out how to message for the different segments that we go after. So for example, if you're selling to a Google or a Facebook or one of the hyperscalers, you can message the piece parts story. So you can go to one of these large scale guys and say, Mr. Customer, one of the hyperscalers, you want to consume just the hardware piece, go for it. If you want to consume just this software bit, let's say you just want to consume the routing or the packet call and not consume the whole end-to-end -end shebang. We are okay. We are open with, to, to that kind of a business model. And we are actually doing that. So that's a messaging and that's a business model for the hyperscalers that works for them because they can consume it in that way. If you think about the large enterprises or the SPs, they're somewhere in between. So they want to be a hyperscaler, but not completely so. So I think for them, it's like, okay, we can give you whatever you want, but for you, we want to actually take you to a journey for an end-to-end -end automated infrastructure. So for them, learning how to program the boxes and how to work with all the good work that DevNet is doing, I think that's awesome for that set of large customers. Then there are these SMB guys, and I think their skill sets or the size of their organization probably not too big. So for them, I think the messaging that we have with DNAC or the messaging that we have with MSX, I mean, those kinds of offers are actually awesome for the SMB kind of customers because they consume it that way. They don't want to get into programmability at every layer. They want to get into programmability at the highest abstraction possible. And I think that's the message we need to drive there. So I think you need to drive a message that is suited for the customer base that we're going after. So uh, it's a long-winded answer, but I think it's all of the above, but it pertains to the vertical that you're going after. That makes sense. So it's not the same journey for everybody. I have so many more questions for Vijoy, but Pete, I, you've been very <laughs> polite, so I'm gonna let you um, jump in. Well, I just, I wanted to follow up. Uh, Vijoy, you, you teased that there's four phases of automation. So I wanted to, to come back to that. And what are your four phases? And how might my favorite announcement from Cisco Live last week tailor into one of them, which is the new DevNet certifications? That's right. I mean, that's actually a great question. And I think Susie and team are doing an absolutely fabulous job through DevNet. Because I think even back at Google, one of the things that we struggled with very, very much is hiring this unicorn that knows development and knows systems and knows networking in and out. Yep. And a combination of that skill set is extremely, and that's why I said Unicorn, it's extremely hard to find. And all the money in the world will not get you that skill set. So I think training people to get there is I think the best thing we can do for the networking community. So kudos to 
Susie and team for getting that going. And that announcement at, Su uh, at Cisco Live has been awesome in that regard. Now, going back to your question specifically, Pete, I think I would add a phase zero to that, but I'll come to that phase zero in a minute. Okay, fair enough. So phase one to me is what most of our customers are trying to do today, which is automation to them is some guy or gal goes into uh, work every day and figures out, hey, I'm doing this thing day after day, night after night, because they're network engineers, it's night after night. And they are basically doing this repetitive thing again and again and again. And they decide, you know what? I'm going to write something that automates this stuff. So I'll go ahead and write either a Perl script or a Golang program and get this thing automated so that my job becomes easier and I become more efficient. And that is, for me, phase one of automation. Because what you end up doing is you're, you end up automating what you are doing. So there is a little bit of, a, of an efficiency gain, but there's a whole bunch of problems behind that. So you've, you've made yourself more efficient so that you, you can go ahead and do more, but then you haven't written it in such a way that is, it's, it's shareable. You haven't written it in such a way that you're building uh, an end-to-end -end system behind it. So you're still very, very siloed and individualistically siloed, but you are getting some gains behind it. And what we are seeing is a lot of our customers are actually in this phase of their journey. And when they talk about automation, this is what they talk about. And DevNet is enabling some of this and DevNet actually enables a lot more, but this is what is being enabled at this, uh, at this point in time. When you talk about phase two, to me, phase two is thinking about the network as a system and trying to start sharing in a more holistic manner. So like I said, some of the drawbacks of the previous phase are more around sharing and figuring out what can be done in a system-wide view. So when you start thinking about, hey, all of us are trying to solve this problem. So let's start figuring out what the problem statement looks like holistically. Let's start breaking it down into its components and let's start writing piece parts of that component, of that entire system. So instead of me trying to solve my particular part of the problem statement and making myself more efficient, simple example, I mean, instead of talking in abstracts, let's say we are trying to solve the network capacity problem. Now, somebody who's working in the capacity planning organization at, at a customer site might say, I just want to solve the forecasting bit versus looking at the problem holistically and saying forecasting is just one part of the network capacity problem. There's an instantiation bit. There's a feedback loop that says, okay, we could only, we could only instantiate one terabyte. The remainder of the right. three terabytes are waiting. What do we do around that? So looking at that problem holistically and solving piece parts in an organizational organizationally holistic manner, I think is phase two. So you bring in software engineering discipline, you bring in, bring in CICD, you bring in design. So it becomes a software engineering problem instead of a scripting problem. So that's phase two. Phase three for me is once you've done all of this, you realize that what you've been doing so far has been automating processes that have been written 20 years ago. 
And so rethinking that problem and saying, you know what? Really what we are trying to solve is a topology engineering problem. And that's it. So for all of networking, everything can be broken down into a topology engineering problem. And so when I think of it in those terms, I start thinking about rethinking of the processes that I've gone through, figuring out what the inputs and outputs to this black box of topology engineering are, and just basically building a topology engineering solver. And so when you think about building that solver, it's a computer science problem at that point. So you're right. thinking about constraint solving, you're thinking about inputs and outputs in terms of safety policies, in terms of design policies, and that's about it. The rest of it take, is taken care of by that big blob of a, of a of system software. And I think that's a maturity level that, in fact, I would say some of the hyperscalers have gone to. Not everybody, even in the hyperscaler world, has gone to that level of maturity. And I think that's phase three. Phase four is basically saying, now that you've done this, how can you plug that out and shove it inside the control system that we are running? So just like today, we don't question BGP. We don't start writing BGP as a script and then go to a software engineering a way of writing it. There is phase, phase two. Then go towards a traffic engineering or topology engineering way of writing it, which is phase right. three. We just trust it. We don't monitor it. We don't do telemetry around it. We just trust it that BGP works. And then you just monitor it as a black box. So how do we take all of that which you've written as a as, as automation and just trust it and make it part of the first class control system. So that's phase four in my mind. Very quickly, and I'm, we've gone through this quite a bit, but phase zero to me is the previous point that I made, which is the organization needs to rethink what it is doing in terms of meetings, in terms of uh, spreadsheets, in terms of how it is passing information back and forth, and then bring that to databases and APIs that are queryable and automatable before we can do any of these phases. So if we embark in a journey, and this is for our customers, if we embark in a journey of phase one through four without fixing that organizational problem and making everything go through an API on a database, I don't think we'll succeed in any of those elements. Well, and that's, I mean, if, historically, right, that's that's kind of where Amazon got its start, right, with the famous Bezos edict that everything had to have an API on top of it. And kind of everything they built after that came out of that edict. And and so that, that sounds like what you're saying phase zero is. That's right. And I think, uh, our, I mean, I think our customers need to understand that. And at Cisco, we need to, provide them with the tools and capabilities to enable that. Right, right. How would, so So you you gave a talk at KubeCon recently, then that, that kind of overlays into this, this it, nicely, I think, because it has a, has a component of some of this, this automation phases that you're talking about. It's specifically talking about networking in a cloud native world. Can you, so can you give us kind of the synopsis of that talk and, and how this relates to sort of this infrastructure gap that you've talked about? Sure, and I think uh, it's it's uh, critical for us to understand, especially as Cisco, the fact that 
we are actually going through a transition in the infrastructure space where we went from physical to virtual. Now we're going from either physical or virtual to a container-based infrastructure stack. And very soon we'll be heading towards serverless. In fact, there are some who say that we are probably going to skip that container journey and go directly to serverless, but we can have a very healthy debate that will surely exceed the time of this podcast. And, uh, and you're not, you're not, you're not, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the first person that said that to you. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm uh, not positive about that, but I'm pretty sure like a month and a half ago, I said that. We, you. you and I have had this conversation. And yes, I've had that conversation with a whole bunch of other people after that. So yes, you, you're right. You're one of the first. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was getting credit is all. That's, that's Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I know you're a big proponent of serverless and so am I. Uh, so yes, we are aligned on that front. But I think uh, there are there are. Uh, I think the the problem is that within Cisco we see a lot of our current revenue come from either physical or virtualized domains. So we tend to ignore this future-looking wave that's coming our way, and I think we need to appreciate that wave and internalize that wave before we can act on it. So I think that's a hurdle that you and I need to go and solve and a whole bunch of others uh, need to solve. But I think that wave is coming. And the, the, the thing that we are seeing is that we are pretty well embedded in the infrastructure stack at the physical layer and the virtual layer. Even though we don't play significantly in the virtual layer, I would, I would, I would claim, but I think we talk to the same buyers. Right. So when we talk to the same buyers, we see a certain set of problems. But then there is a new buyer that is building up or at least a new influencer that is building up. And that is the cloud architect, that is the developer. And we are really not talking significantly to that buying or influencing set of people. And when you go and talk to those people, and especially if you go to a KubeCon, or if you go to an SRECon, or if you go to any of these uh, outlets which actually talk to that set of buyers, you will hear that story, which is they are actually talking about an abstraction to that infrastructure that basically makes that infrastructure disappear. And that is one of the critical reasons why people are actually moving to the cloud. Because they're saying, you know what? I don't want to deal with all the complexities of my on-prem infrastructure. The abstraction that I'm getting from an Amazon or a Google or a Microsoft, Microsoft are at a level that allows me to build applications which solve my business problem and make me run faster in solving that business problem. Because in the end, right. that's what customers care about, not building the best and the most capable infrastructure stack. They want to get rid of that problem. And Cisco can step in and help them get rid of that problem because that's the level of abstraction that we can provide. So these two worlds are actually moving and merging and actually interfacing at the container layer. So we're actually very well positioned to solve this problem. So as far as the earlier journey that we talked about around automation, we do need to do it because that's hygiene. So to me, that needs to be solved because that is begging to be solved. And if we don't solve it, we are hurting our own penetration in the infrastructure space. But the next step that we need to take is solve the developer problem of help me build applications at a level of abstraction that I don't need to care about 
any kind of infrastructure. So we've talked about serverless. Yeah. And very jokingly, there's this notion that there should be a network less and there should be a storage less. So there, is, there should be an infrastructure less, quote unquote, abstraction that is provided to the developer so that they can build that up, uh, their, their applications and run fast. Well, and this is where I'm, this is where I'm interested on your take on this notion of there being a services gap in in on-prem infrastructure. And, and Cloud Foundry has kind of tried this and, and their their way kind of hasn't taken root. Azure Stack has tried this and, and hasn't kind of gotten. And, and what I mean by this, right? If you if you go to public cloud, like I've I've got a side project I'm working on right now that's you know that that is admittedly serverless, but I, I go spin up I, I needed an HTTP, a static HTTP experience. And I was able to write a cloud formation template that would go into Route 53 and get a domain name and then go into AWS Certificate Manager and create a certificate for me, take that certificate and go create a CloudFront distribution. So that now not only do I have a CDN, but I've got an HTTP front end that I can then configure to talk to a, a, a public S3 bucket. And I can use those, those that family of services together to just you know, script it in a couple hundred lines of cloud formation. And I can, I can execute that cloud formation. I can point it at any region I want to have dev test like as many different environments as I want very quickly. We, we seem to be missing that on-prem. On-prem seems to be stuck in the feeds and speeds. And I mean, we're, I mean, we're doing better with, with some of these, these concepts that we have with the networking, but the networking is only one piece of it. If I, if I also don't have an object store, if I also don't have you know, some kind of certificate manager or some CDN service or some, some NoSQL server that I can stand up at scale and have somebody provision with like a template file instead of a, a ticketing system, then you know all this goodness that we're doing with automating the network, you know, might not matter because it's one piece of a larger application. So, do you, do you see the same services gap that I do, and who do you think is well poised to try to fix to try to fill it? So, no, that's a that's a great question, and I think uh, again going back to the earlier comments around raising up that infrastructure abstraction layer, uh, where whereby developers can be more productive. I think that. This, this comment of yours actually goes to the heart of that problem. And I think uh, this is a real problem, as you said. There are various ways we can tackle this. So we are trying to tackle this on a one-on-one -on -one basis with our partnerships today. Mm -hmm. So for example, all of, all of the partnerships that we're trying to do with, let's say, AWS, where we suck in the identity on authentication and make it a seamless experience around on-prem and AWS, is squarely targeted towards uh, solving this problem, but it doesn't go far enough today. So the kind uh, of thing you can do with CCP or, or cloud. Yeah, so using CCP as a core and then adding on layers of uh, capabilities above it so that it makes uh, a hybrid with AWS, a hybrid with GCP or Azure seamless for uh, the end customer right. actually is the first step towards this. But you raise a point which is, something that I've been hearing from a lot of our customers that we are actually not solving today. And actually, if you think about it, not many people from the vendor space are solving today. The cloud guys are getting into it, 
and GCP has made a pretty clear announcement around going after this by trying to establish themselves as the neutral quote unquote vendor to provide multi-cloud capabilities through Anthos. And we are partnering with them on that. But if you talk to customers, there is still this tinge of this Anthos solution being a Google-centric solution that right. customers feel uh, they still need a neutral player. And so I think we have a pretty clear gap there that we can go and solve. Where if you think about a, a developer, there are like 20 things that a developer does, or maybe even 15, not even 20. So they need a Postgres, they need a Kafka, they need a CI/CD pipeline. They need a set of things that they can build their application upon, and they need it in a managed way so that they don't have to deal with the headache of managing it, uh, that, that stack. And so it's a pretty finite set of things that they need on-prem. Yeah, it that is. They can, and so there's a clear gap that we can go after. Of course, VMware can go after that and is trying to go after that. Red Hat is the other player, but we are clearly being seen by our customers as at least the third player in this in this picture. And there's a little bit of uncertainty around the competition on where they will go. So there is an opportunity for us to go after in this space. The second space that is clearly a gap, and this is where my KubeCon uh, keynote was going after, is trying to connect these two domains together. So the cloud domain where it's a managed stack and developer friendly, and then the on-prem domain, which is again, a managed stack, whether by us or somebody else, and we have an opportunity there, but whoever does that and trying to connect that at the developer abstraction layer. And so the project that we announced at KubeCon EU, uh, which is called Network Service Mesh, tries to solve that problem. So if you think about what's happening at the developer layer, for L7 services, Istio and other service meshes are trying to solve that problem at the service layer. But there's, again, a big gap at the layer two, layer three, maybe a little bit of layer four in trying to solve the same problem with the same consumption models and the same paradigms. And NSM is trying to solve that problem with the same consumption level that Istio has been so successful with and the same uh, instantiation model that Envoy brings, which is having a sidecar Right. And then letting that sidecar solve that data plane for you. And NSM tries to do the same thing with something that we call NSMD, which is following the same model. So it's a data plane that developers can debug, that developers can access, are comfortable with, familiar with, but they don't have to worry about BGP. They don't have to worry about switches or vSwitches. They don't have to worry about routers and vRouters, but they can just worry about a model that they're familiar with and let NSM and NSMD solve that problem for them. So that is squarely in our domain because right. we are perceived as the networking and security behemoth, but then we can talk the developer language and solve it for them. Cool. I'm feeling like we are way ahead of the curve because we had Ed Warnicky on the show almost a year ago talking about network service mesh when it was, I don't believe it was available yet, but he was talking about it conceptually. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that that's moved forward and that it's an official thing now. Yeah, so we, we will actually, so if Ed was around 
about a year ago, we were just starting out at that point. Now yeah. we're we've uh, seen NSM become a graduate, not a graduate, but a recognized sandbox project, and a whole bunch of other names that you will see in the networking space in cloud native environments that actually don't cannot claim to have that honor. So it's a good, good thing to have. And the fact that Cisco has driven that is awesome. We do have VMware playing there. We do have Red Hat playing there. We've been talking to a whole bunch of customers, a whole bunch of service providers. Enterprises are all pretty hungry. In fact, I was talking to SAP uh, at KubeCon in Europe, and I was trying to sell them on that concept. And they came back and said, you know what? There's a problem A, there's a problem B, and a problem C that we would like to solve in NSM. I was like, holy cow, you've got, you guys have actually deployed it and are playing with it? That's awesome. Wow. So let's go and solve that problem. So, so we just became sandbox, but these guys are already playing with it. So I think we are doing really, really well on that front. Nice. Um, Pete, I, I feel like your earlier question touched on this. I'm not sure if we totally covered it, but um, talking about kind of what is the future of, we've been talking a lot about networking and I, I think it's a very interesting concept how you have to take care of this networking automation. And it's kind of, it, it is hygiene before you can go ahead and build your cloud castle. You don't want to build it on sand, right? You, you need to establish a foundation by having your networking situation cleaned up. Then you can can go forward with your with your cloud. But what about networking in a cloud native world? We haven't talked a lot about cloud native uh, during our discussion here. Uh, have we covered the networking bit, Vijoy? Is there something else we ought to be talking no, about? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've uh, discussed the cloud native bits. Okay. I think uh, the NSM project is one of the ways okay. we are trying to tackle the cloud native problem. But I Got think uh, you're right in summarizing that uh, there is a physical infrastructure uh, problem statement that we do need to fix. Uh, we do need to fix the policy coordination across the various parts of our networking story. And uh, there's a lot of work happening in the DNAC domain through MDP uh, that we are leveraging to solve this problem. There is the problem of breaking piece parts of the networking stack that we need to fix so that we can sell these things to the hyperscalers because they consume it in a different way versus let's say an SMB that consume, consumes it in a very different way. So those are the things that we need to solve. And this is all in the physical layer. But then there is a different buying and a different influencing center that's emerging and that's the developer and the cloud architect. And so they are looking at cloud native applications. They are looking at how to break up this entire infrastructure into microservices, into serverless, and networking to them looks very, very different than it does to an infrastructure buyer. So through projects such as NSM, we are trying to tackle that problem statement so that we can uh, sell to that buyer, or at least be a credible player in the cloud native networking space. because. If we don't play in that space, sooner or later we'll get decoupled, and that influencing center is not going to look at us as a good player or a credible player in the networking and security space. Great answer, Pete. I don't know if you have any more questions, but I kind okay. of I have one final kind of wrap up question for me was. Yeah, go for it. I, I know you can't, uh, Vijay. I know <laughs> that you can't talk much about roadmap, but as a CTO of cloud. 
I would still walk away from this uh, conversation as a customer saying, so where, what can I, what can I expect from Cisco in the cloud? Or where should I be? I look at the cloud landscape and there's a lot of small niche players. I know where to put that. I know what niche they fill in my world. And there's also enormous players like Amazon and Google and Azure. And I know what niche, I know how I use them. How should customers view Cisco? Where do we fit into the cloud landscape? Sure. I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think uh, it, it, it sort of summarizes some of the themes that we've been talking through. I think we've done a great job in the network orchestration and automation side of the house where, like we said, we, we have products like DNSE, we have NSO, we have ACI. And for all of those things, we, are, we have a roadmap around taking those assets into the cloud native world. So you've seen ACI anywhere come around, you've seen NSO encroaching into cloud plays, DNSC is, is encroaching into a cloud environment. It's going, it's going to have a SaaS offer pretty soon. So there is a roadmap around all of those plays on the networking side. If you think about our offers on the infrastructure management or workload management side of things, uh, we do have, like, like we have CCP. We will be growing that footprint. We will be adding capabilities to it. So there's, uh, again, some of this is roadmappy, so all disc disclaimers apply. Right. But we've been working on Kubeflow. We've been trying to integrate Kubeflow into the uh, CCP stack. We've been working with uh, AWS, as we all know. So you will see a set of announcements around that front. Uh, you've seen the roadmap around GCP and how we went from the announcement a year ago to Anthos, and there's a roadmap around that. Uh, we've announced a few things around Azure and CCP at Cisco Live. So there is a train around that, and that'll continue to happen. And I'm somewhat being a little uh, cagey around that roadmap, but you can imagine a roadmap uh, building around those partnerships. And then there is the big gap around, again, cloud-native networking and security that we need to go after. There's a big gap around the software abstraction that Pete uh, talked, about, talked about that we need to go after, and you will see Again, one of our biggest strengths is networking and security. There's no uh, doubt around that bit. So how do we use that advantage that we have to not only up-level ourselves into cloud-native networking and security, but also use that position of strength to drive leadership into the cloud-native and cloud-native application development and cloud-native infrastructure stacks? Because we can come in from the networking and security side and drive the infrastructure conversation. And that would be the theme to follow into the roadmap that we have around cloud in Cisco. So again, it's a little bit of a KG answer, but I think that's the, that's the philosophy to use. And that's the philosophy that we will be using to move forward. That's all right. We talk to many a CTO on this show and they're routinely cagey. So we, that is what we expect from you. But, but I do appreciate the, the bit of insight that you could give us. Uh, we have run out of time, so I need to wrap it up. If that's it for you, Pete, then uh, I think I'll say, we'll, 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 we'll probably say goodbye. Are there any last words you'd like to get in there, Vijoy? No, I think uh, the only thing I would say is that we are at a point in time where there's a massive disruption happening, where we went from physical to virtual where my favorite comment there is that we all cheated, whether it's the infrastructure guys, whether it's the application guys, where we 
basically took what worked in the physical domain and we wrapped it up in a VM and we just called it a day. So whether it's a virtual application, and it just looked and behaved and smelt and tasted like a physical application, but it just was virtual, quote unquote. And the same things were happening on the networking and security side where we said, you know what, we are going to call it a vSwitch. Hey, this is just a switch, but wrapped in a VM. We'll call it a virtual router or vRouter, but it's the same thing. We were using concepts such as BGP. We were using concepts such as vSTARLAN, whether it's VXLAN or whatever. And so we just stuck to the same concepts and consumption models. But now what's happening is with this change towards containers, or whether it's serverless, there's a massive disruption happening in how we are building applications. So we are re-architecting the application. We are re-architecting the infrastructure. The entire operational model is changing because now we have microservices and how you operate a microservice is very, very different from what it was in the physical or virtual world. So there is a huge opportunity for us where Cisco really has no skin in the game to protect. So we are not there to protect anything. We are there to solve a customer problem. So we should go in and lead with that statement. Whereas a VMware has everything to lose because a VMware from a VM to a container has everything to lose. So they're going to protect that till the cows come home. Yeah. But we don't have that. So if we go in and have a product roadmap and we have a story around Mr. Customer, we are here to help you move towards a container or a serverless world. And our competition out there is going to protect it till ad infinitum. I mean, that's the story we need to build and that's the story we need to go forward with. Excellent, excellent. I like that analogy that we were cheating. We were all cheating. There's a day of reckoning coming. <laughs> we're at the day of reckoning, it sounds like. Yes. Where we have to look at everything and say, do we really want to go with how we did it 20 years ago or should we should we fix everything from the ground up? That's right. That's great. You saved the best part for the very end. Thank you, Vijoy. Pete, I think that's it. I think we're going to go ahead yeah, and wrap up good. for the day. Thanks for uh, joining so us today. Thanks, you guys. Uh, Vijoy, I hope we get to talk again soon. But for now, I thank you for your time. No, it was a pleasure. It was great talking to you. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.